0: Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. I'm Tom Erdsch Jr. and as always, I'm joined by Mike Murphy. Mike, how are you doing on this cold and rainy Thursday?
1: Well, it's weird. We both knew it wasn't going to be a crazy deadline for the Rangers. Like, I think a lot of people are like, maybe Jack Eichel? And then of course, now we know Jack Eichel has like a herniated disc or something. um, And he's done for the year. But... It was goddamn boring, Tom. (laughs) The trade deadline for the Rangers. Like, it sounded like for a little bit, the Rangers might be in play as, like, taking on some cap and, you know, serving as a middleman for, you know, like a three-team deal and getting compensation for something. But uh, nothing. Nothing goddamn happened, Tom. The only real trade leading up to the deadline the Rangers had was parting ways with Brendan Lemieux and... I think it would be a stretch to call that really a like a deadline trade so you know that happened and uh a couple of friends of mine and i are doing a women's hockey analytics conference that we announced so that's fun and now that's one more thing for me to lose sleep over and plan but it'll be a fun thing we get to do in july uh, it'll be virtual and figuring out how to do that i've never done a conference before so Time for me to learn. Thankfully, my friend Alyssa Longmere has done one, so I'm just gonna pick her brain and she's doing this one with us, so um but yeah, other than that, hanging in there. Deadline was boring. And I'm eating Chinese food tonight, so not a bad not a bad week other than like you said, it's been a couple of pissy rainy days lately.
0: Yeah, as far as the deadline goes, it's it's pretty much the moves that the Rangers did not make. We saw obviously um there was rumors that they could be involved with caps transaction trades, like you mentioned. Um, we saw that with the David Savard trade, where you had you know intermediaries helping to you know move him to ultimately to Tampa, and then there was the reports um, which we saw from Larry Brooks and we saw from Darren Drager and Elliot Friedman, you know, surrounding Tony D'Angelo, how the Rangers have been pretty much prepared to buy him out this summer. And his representation um, came to the Rangers with a proposal of, hey, you know, we can do mutual termination of contracts, which pretty much is, you know, exactly what it sounds like. Um, Rangers don't owe Tony anything. Tony's free to go. And then he would go through waivers before that, and obviously he wouldn't get claimed. And... Uh, the one team that was out there and it first was a little bit information and as time's gone on we've heard a little bit more although um, you never know how serious things were but it was the Montreal Canadiens were one of the more interested teams and if that route had gone down it wouldn't have just been a one-year deal. Um, I know um, Elliot Friedman had mentioned that he heard that It would have been a situation where he signed for the rest of this year and a deal for next year that would have, quote unquote, made him whole for the money he would have lost out on by um, the mutual termination. So obviously that sort of doesn't happen. And then he says uh, his his goodbye in respects on Instagram. Um, You know, he's sort of saying like, well, we know what's going to happen next and you know, thanking fans and, and all that stuff. And uh, that pretty much wraps that element up until he's officially bought out in the summer. Um, but yeah, quiet deadline for the Rangers uh, in terms of trades. But you could almost say that the Rangers did make deadline acquisitions um, in the sense of, Zach Jones signs an entry-level contract um, fresh off winning a national championship with UMass um, Amherst um, left-handed defenseman and someone who the Rangers took in 2019 and his his stock has really soared over the last couple of years and I know that you have a lot of interesting statistics about uh, Mr. Jones so uh, I'm gonna let you tell the fine people uh, about Zach Jones in more detail
1: yeah I was really curious about Jones not only like when the Rangers signed him but I was it was a guy I was curious about just because of you can't help but look at the uh, the blue line and the prospects that are here and think about Ray Onainen and what future he might have. Then you think of Jones, you think of Nils and like It's like kind of a conveyor belt, and you wonder what guys might get knocked, out, knocked off and what young guys might get a chance to really carve out an opportunity for themselves. Then, um, of course, Zach Jones signed, and I... Just finished today writing uh, 1,200 words on him. Uh, that'll go up uh, when you're listening to the show. It'll be up on Banter. And the thing about like college hockey data, um, I've learned a lot of tricks from covering the women's game and, and finding college hockey data. And thankfully, it you know it also helps with finding the men's hockey data. Um, like there's some stuff out there. It's not you don't get the same level, obviously, that you get for publicly available NHL data but a lot of the data we have is good for mostly like analyzing certain types of players and one of the things it is kind of good at is offensive defensemen which is the niche that Jones falls comfortably into it's really interesting to me that he actually led the Minutemen at uh, UMass Amherst, that he led them in individual coursey for it at even strength and on the power play um, I was really curious about what kind of impact it would have. He played on a team with, um, with, I think it's Matt Kessel is his name, and he's a St. Louis Blues prospect. So, And he's another kind of good puck-moving defenseman. And so like when you have two guys who kind of fit that role on a college team and they're both NHL prospects, it can be kind of tricky when you're trying to like discern what one does that the other doesn't do. But overall like, the big thing to remember here is Jones is 20. Um, He'll be 21 next October. And so he was, you know, I think one of the 50 youngest D in the nation this year that played a minimum of 15 games. And he had really, really encouraging numbers. Um, He led his team in block shots for whatever that's worth for you. Uh, But the thing that stood out the most to me was when he was on the ice, a lot of good things happened. Um, And... You know for his team and his like even strength goal differential was through the roof he was on a very good team don't get me wrong so everyone had a good even strength goal differential but looking at some of the context behind his numbers you can't help but be like oh wow this is a really you know impactful player the thing that is most interesting to me is uh his college coach uh greg carvel like he's been really kind of honest about analyzing jones and he said, "You know, this is a guy that when he came here was something of a defensive liability and also a liability because he wasn't really strong." And I, one of the stories you're going to hear a lot of with Zach Jones is he's five foot ten and 170 pounds, so he's on the smaller side for a defenseman. But we need only look at what a five foot ten Adam Fox can do to understand sizes and everything, especially in the modern game. And Carvel has said, like, maybe he's going to be a player who can be like an Adam Fox, which, of course, is high, high praise. And we shouldn't rush to that uh, rush to those expectations for him. But it is, you know, he plays the left side and the Rangers don't necessarily have a lot of guys who have that sort of strictly offensive defenseman skill set that Jones has on the left side, which is really interesting because it might help balance out, you know, the bottom pairing or, you know, the bottom four in the near future and I don't know it's interesting that he a lot of the talk about what what changed in his game over the past two years Tom is like you know this was a guy who got stronger and got better away from the puck because the offensive stuff was already there and I think it sounds somewhat similar to things we've heard about Adam Fox but it's safe to say he's just a tier below Fox in terms of like what his overall abilities are and that of course does mean he can't be a very very good NHL player. One day, I do think it just means we should keep that in mind when we're evaluating a guy who's a 20 year old defenseman.
0: <laughs> Certainly, and like I, I think it's important what you just said, like in vis-a-vis like Adam Fox, and um, in, in the sense that like we have a bunch of different prospects that we we look at, and you're we talking at least from the Rangers' perspective. Um, you know, obviously Nils Lundqvist would probably be at the, the very tippy top of that, and then, you know, obviously someone like Zach Jones is, is of importance, and Braden Schneider, and, and you mentioned in earlier, um, but that's fine because theoretically speaking, there's only so much ice time to go around, but you want to have the right types of prospects. Um, I think ideally having someone who can move the puck, can skate well, can be able to make plays is beneficial now you obviously want to have as good players as as you can and you know that that's the goal but even if he's uh, a second pair guy a third pair guy you still need good players in in your lineup and you know based on on what we've seen and how he you know projects um, you're looking at someone who will help the Rangers and I, I think Fans understand the types of players that the Rangers have skated over the last few years. And, you know, we've seen a lot of badness. Like, we've seen Lieber Hayek. We've seen Rob Guerra. It's been ugly at times. So anytime you're able to add someone who's young, who's showing potential, it makes it a world better. And And I think how the team has added people, whether it's Truba and Fox and Miller and Lindgren, you're now having somewhat of an environment. And I kind of feel weird, like, lumping Miller into that group, like, where Miller is a rookie himself this year, Fox is is a sophomore. But it's this environment where they're playing so well that you don't have to worry about it too much, that you're talking about adding another young you know player to the mix and it's not this this element of oh you're really going to need someone to to shelter so and so because you (laughs) pretty much have like a balance um
1: yeah it's a lot different than it was five years ago right when it felt like there was the token kid and then there was all these established guys and a couple journeymen and like nick holden you know (laughs) like it was a very different looking blue line and now we have all these prospects coming up through the pipeline, and it's it's. I'm glad you mentioned like Keandre Miller, and you mentioned is Like, you think about the left side, and you think about what Ryan Lindgren has become and is, and how good he looks on that pair with Fox. You think about Keandre Miller, and then you know there's there's space there for another guy who plays the left side to be there for a while. There's nothing that says that can't be Zach Jones, and I think that's what the Rangers are kind of hoping to find out. And I think there is something to be said about, you know, getting him in the program early, getting him around pros, doing all those things. Um, it'll be very interesting to see if he, if and when he gets drawn into the lineup. Um, I'm curious about the opportunity he has, but really, this signing, more than anything, it makes me curious about the fate of Rayonainen. And then, of course, I would love to know what the front office thinks they have with Libor Hayek.
0: I agree with that as well, and I, I think that we heard um, you know Quinn talked and he said it's going to be a situation where they're in a playoff race and he's going to have to earn his spot into the lineup, which I understand that, and I'm not going to get up in arms about it, um, even though the Rangers under David Quinn have been the furthest thing from a meritocracy, um, but I think there's things to be learned about Zach Jones once he does get into the lineup like I understand the concerns about size and but like look no further you have someone like Jared Spurgeon he's 5'9", 167 pounds he's coming up on 700 games in the NHL and you have Tory Krug 5'9", 186 pounds 565 you know regular season career games um, you know so Right there, you have examples of quote-unquote undersized players in the league who are pretty productive defensemen. So Jones being 5'10", already taller than them, he's in the middle in terms of weight, but I don't really think that matters that much. What I'm more interested in, and something that we want to find out, which we've kind of already found out about Lieber Hayek, is speed of the game, where... Hayek is not fleet of foot. Um, It's hard at times to, like, for him to, if he's out of position, to get get into the position. So seeing how Jones reads the game, seeing how his puck moving translates, because, like, obviously you're going to have way smarter players who are going to be able to pick off cross-ice passes and, and things of that nature. So that's more or less what I'm interested to see, um, and, and I'm not too concerned about how his body's going to hold up physically, although I understand, you know, it's it's something we see with all the players, like, look at the the strides Kako made in terms of, of fitness, and you look at Hedl, who was also a little bit on the smaller side, but um, I, I would say that, Hayek is kind of on notice and if the Rangers do end up dropping a couple of these games coming up because of how tight things are it puts the math not in their favor and then yeah. I, I think you see him draw into the lineup
1: yeah there's a, I think a lot of what you said is important like looking at uh like Car wrote something about um, Jones I think in around November or is either November or January where Jury was already saying, like, they feel confident in his ability to make that first pass out of the zone at the NHL level already, which is a really strong statement to make for, you know, for a kid who's 20. Um, but the the speed of the game is, is something, you know, you talked about, which occurs to me because right now I think it's, uh, you know, it's 17 points in 17 games for Morgan, Barron, and Hartford, which is really, really promising. He kept, a I think, a five-game point streak going today in hartford's win over bridgeport he had a, an assist on an empty net goal tim gettinger scored again um and but the thing is like the big knock on morgan Barron is like eh, is his speed going to be an issue at the nhl level because he's really good at creating chances for himself but he has a lot of tricks outside of his speed and someone was asking me on twitter is like you know can he skate at the nhl level and I, I had to be like i'm not a prospect guy i'm a guy who Watches AHL games when I can, and I look at stats and then I try to make informed, uh, you know, observations when I write because there are people who make a living out of doing that, and I'm definitely not that guy. But it's interesting to me to think of what that adjustment looks like for a defenseman who's like 20 going on 21 when you have to adjust to the speed and. You know, I think a lot of people might say, "Oh, he's five ten. He might get fucking killed out there." But I think the bigger thing to adjust to is just the speed of the game. And in many ways, I think you can be exposed in a big way as an offensive defenseman who's used to taking risks and you know going for pinches and making these stretch passes, where you have to quickly adjust. Like I remember, I'll never forget how good Adam Fox looked in that Traverse City tournament. You remember when he was just like a man among boys and then when he got to the nhl level he still looked good but you could tell it was like oh yeah it, this is you know this is a much bigger pond now this is a much harder test and i mean just look at what he's done this year compared to last year he was great last year but this year he's you know he's a legitimate norse candidate he's that good already and everyone has a learning curve i think it'll be really interesting to see what that learning curve will look like for a guy like zach jones but I mean, props to the Rangers for, for the scouting work on him because a third-round pick like him, I I couldn't help but bring up Cam York in, in the article I wrote, uh, the Flyers pick 14th overall in 2019. Um, you know, you look at their numbers side by side, and uh, I'll just put it this way, like, Jones's numbers look pretty good compared to Cam York's, and that's a guy who has taken 14th overall, so that's good work by the Rangers
0: the last thing i'll say on zach jones and um I, were you bringing it up um you know talking about you know people being worried he's gonna get killed out there so i have a question for you i want to see how close you are um if if i ask you this question so how big do you think ryan lindgren is and you know the consensus around ryan lindgren and the type of player he is how big do you think ryan lindgren is
1: He's sub six foot. I know that, right? He's 5'11 or something. I don't know what his weight is, but he's not. He's one of those guys who's just a compact little wrecking ball, but he's not a big guy.
0: So, right. So he's six foot on the nose and 191 pounds. So, like, just just think of that. So two inch difference. Um,
1: not quite Hal Gill. Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. So, and it's, it's interesting to me because, like, When most people think of, like, who is the freight train on the Rangers, like, you think of Jacob Scherba, because, like, obviously, you know, he's a thick boy, um, and he lays the boom with, you know... Whatever he wants to, um, and doing it clean mostly, which is something that it's harder and harder in this league it seems. Um, but then it's like Ryan Lindgren. Obviously, he gets the kudos for that game against Washington, where he drops Alex Ovechkin. Although it did wake him up and allow him to score two goals, if that's you know the what you want to believe. Um, but like,
1: I still take it. It was fucking awesome.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. But <laughs> it was
1: awesome to see a guy like Lindgren get chirped in that game and all the all the spiciness of that game everyone was like what the hell you don't hit Ovi?" it's like i don't give a shit i'm ryan Lindgren. i'm gonna hit who i want right exactly there's a clean hit too so I'm all yeah
0: for it. so if you figure zach jones he's still a work in progress only 20 maybe he grows another inch maybe he puts on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle it's you know then he's pretty much Ryan Lindgren's size. And the only reason I point this out is it's, you know, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because their games couldn't be any more different in nature. But just to sort of um, dispel that idea of, man, he's really small and he's going to get crushed out there. I mean, you know, there was another guy for the Rangers that was pretty small. You know, his name was Matt Succarel and that really didn't stop him from, you know, doing things either so um if you have skill and you're an offensive player and you're able to move the puck and you're able to able to skate and you know you don't really have to worry that much about getting hit so i I think that in the long run zach jones is going to be fine and like i said it's more so okay he's coming off a massive high playing ncaa hockey winning a national championship what's that speed transition like um because it does Take some time you know as we've seen with uh, other players
1: yeah i agree i mean it, it's funny i mean we could either transition to talking about you know we're talking about adjusting to the nhl game and a guy who we've watched now for six games i was telling you before the show i can't believe it's six games because it doesn't feel like it's six games already but kraftstaff um what are your thoughts tom after six games of Itali Kraftstoff?
0: So, I will give you my thoughts on Vitaly Krasov right after this ad break. Just like that, we're back from the break. Um Vitaly Kravtsov has been very impressive thus far and it's a thing where I know people are obsessing over okay, he has one assist, um he probably could have two. Um, you know, they took one away. I think it was the it was like a drop pass that I think the angle was like it looked like he deflected it a little bit and another angle looked like he just let the puck go by but i i really don't care about that um he's been very impressive in how he's approached his game this far and it's the little one-on-one plays that we've seen with him, um, similar to Capo Caco, where he'll have the puck on his forehand and he'll be going to one side, um, and then he will sort of stop, put it in reverse, and go in the opposite direction and sort of stick out to shield the puck. It's just this... I, I always describe it as like Yariman Yager, just because I associate that type of behavior with him where it's like okay i want to do this thing i'm going to go this direction you know what i can't go this way i'm going to turn i'm going to shield the puck i'm going to go in the opposite direction and try and make a play and then sometimes like well i can't go this way now so then i'm going to reverse it again and it's just almost this you're trying to tire the opposition out and then there were even a couple of plays against the last game against new jersey where he has the puck along the boards or he's working along the boards and you have devils trying to hit him or get the puck and they're just bouncing off of him and he's staying on his skates and he keeps on moving and it's just impressive um like you said it's been six games and in those six games with the team he, he leads them in Corsi 4 percentage. like obviously very small sample size, but um, 53.78, which is really good. Um, you know, expected goals for, he's sub 50, but he's still fifth on the team in that span. So in terms of how the Rangers have played lately, you've had ups and downs, um, you know, Shielded by really good goaltending from Igor Shustarkin, Who picked up his first shutout Which was really cool to see Very but... cool to see, yeah but Krasov has been really impressive to watch, and it's those instincts and it's that willingness to get in the dirty areas of the ice, which let you know that once he has a little more confidence, once he's in a line with with people for a little bit, and he's able to settle in, the points are going to come. And like that was one of the more impressive things. Um, like you know. Like, when Alex um, was sort of recapping his season, he had, uh, I think he posted it going back, he had, like, a chart of where his goals were scored and stuff, and it wasn't all of these long-range, you know, goals. Like, it was near, around the net, whether it was tippins or whether it was him coming in. So, that type of style is going to benefit him at the NHL level, and um, it's really cool to see because, obviously, we know everything he came over and things didn't go well in Hartford and he went back to the KHL and, and you know everything associated with that. To get to this point where he's looking so comfortable and so strong six games in, you see a legitimate NHL player in there and, and someone who could uh, make a real good difference for this team.
1: Yeah, the thing that I, my first impression from him is like I was excited to see Laugh, I was excited to see Capocacco. And, like, watching them after a couple games, you're just like, oh, yeah, I see. I see what, you know, you see little flashes of things. And after everything that had gone on with Kravstov, you couldn't help but be like, oh, I just hope this works. Please work. And really, he's just fun. He's fun to watch when he has the puck. He's a slippery player. He reminds me at times a little bit of Booch. Um, And then at times, like, there are little flashes of him being a very, like, much more elusive player than Booch, but you know to use old old time hockey terms, he's a very East West guy, right, Tom? Um, uh, and what's so fun about him? I think from from getting to watch him, you know, like you said, six game sample size isn't much to go by, but his you know underlying numbers have been really fun. And yeah, it's one assist, but like Lafreniere looks great with Kravstov. That the kid, it's so fun watching that line and. Like everyone is kind of buzzing about just the way he looks and what the eye test is telling us, and to find even like little little motes of evidence in terms of the underlying numbers to say like is is he really as good as he looks and I think you know, like you said, this is an n h l player uh he's he's arrived, he's ready, and you know now with Kraftstoff, we get we get to enjoy the same headache we get to enjoy for all these other kids, which is finding a mice time uh, because. You know, through six games, he's averaging 12 minutes and 18 seconds. And, you know, it's not a lot. It's not a lot of time to make your mark, even even if you're not playing against like the top pair and the other team's top players. So you'd expect him to be able to show his skill. But, you know, it's, it's a unique problem the Rangers have, where they're this super young team, but you also have these guys that you just... It's hard to take ice time away from some of these guys. Like, how do you take ice time away from Panarin? How do you take ice time away from Chris Kreider? How do you take ice time away from Pavel Bucinavich this year, for goodness sakes? And, you know, and of course, you know, you have the case of Ryan Strome and Filipito. But then, you know, admittedly, I think there are some games where Filipito doesn't always look like he's fully engaged or he's completely ready for a bigger role yet. I still think all signs point to him being there and that it's going to happen. And that it might happen sooner if he gets more ice time, but it's uh, it's it's an interesting dilemma. Now we get to enjoy wondering about Kravstov getting opportunity, right?
0: I think there is the opportunity for him to get an opportunity. Not to use the same word <laughs> twice, um, but Chris Kreider has been pretty bad lately. Um, he's gone eight games without a goal, yeah. um, only 15 shots in that span. Um, and, He's even
1: arguing with Mika. What the hell's going on?
0: Yeah, it's uh, and like if you extend it to uh, like eleven games, so he has one goal in his last eleven games, um, which is not great. And um, like I don't know, and like I don't want to take a sample, like a small sample size, out of context or try to make something bigger than it is because you know, on the whole, you know, 17 goals in 42 games, um, you know, that shooting percentage is, uh, 20.2, which is, you know, 7.6 higher than his career, uh, or 6.8 higher than his career average. I almost, I did wrong math there. Um, but like this was one of the concerns with signing a guy to a long-term contract that, The nature of Chris Kreider was he is a roughly a 45 to 50 point player um, and he's gonna have these highs and lows and the problem becomes when you have talent on the wing you have your Panarin, Kako, Lafreniere, Bucinavich, uh, Kravtsov you don't have enough top six spots and they can make this work for a little while because you're going to have a time where you have all of these guys on entry level deals. So if Crider ends up being on your third line, it's not ideal, but it's it's not going to really blow up your books. So in the interim though, like the KZB, KZB line has been pretty stale. Uh, I know Rob Luker has posted a lot of a lot of things on you know, has his Twitter feed, and you know, showing how the Rangers have pretty much changed everything except that line uh, and the first power play unit. So that's where I would look to get crafts off ice time. I, I think the interesting thing was the coaching staff said they're comfortable, and he's comfortable playing on either left or right. So theoretically. He could slide into Kreider's spot and you're not taking away from Panarin, you're not taking away from Buchnevich and you're not taking away from Kako. Um, I think this is something the Rangers are going to have to address long term. Um, like, like I said, it's a small sample size and I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but it's something to think about and, and managing expectations and obviously... We've seen other players in their mid to late 30s who have been able to become more productive. Like I think of like Joe Pavelski, where you know people thought uh, you know, he was on a downswing and, and he was able to, to be productive. So like I'm not writing off Chris Kreider, who's going to turn 30, um, you know, 15 days from now, but like that is your immediate. Oh, where do we put um, Krafts off? But for whatever reason, David Quinn wants to keep that line together. Maybe we see that change, like I said earlier, when uh, the playoff picture becomes, uh, you know, a little more unrealistic.
1: I agree. I think that's it. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, we all love Chris Kreider. That goes without saying. But when you look at the other guys who are there and like getting the opportunities, like. You're not going to take ice time away from Artemi Panarin. You're not going to take ice time away from Mika Zbanjad. You're not going to take ice time away from Booch. And then you want to find ice time for kids, so you're trying to find ice time for a guy like Capo Caco. Um, you're not necessarily bending over backward to find ice time for Colin Blackwell. You know what I mean? Um, it's obvious what what is kind of the good medicine to pursue here is is finding opportunities for the kids. And it comes to mind a lot on the power play, but then you also think of, like, how valuable is Chris Kreider as a net front? presence on the power play. You know, you can, you can kind of go dizzy thinking about what, how to move these pieces around to find, you know, opportunities for kids, and of course the Rangers are so dependent on that top power play unit, but, I mean, I mean to say they lean on it a lot, you know what I mean, but, yeah, I'm ready for, like, let the kids do the kids. Crider getting closer to third line minutes is not a bad thing, if it means you know, for a couple games we get to see a different look and someone get an opportunity with, you know, a more capable center every once in a while. I think it's not a bad thing. And I do think, you know, the KBZ is a line I think we all loved. And, you know, on a when the Rangers were not quite as fun to watch <laughs> as they are right now, that was a line that was typically kind of doing the heavy lifting. And now, like you said, it's a little stale right now. And that's fine. And I think the part of it that's stale right now is Chris Kreider. That doesn't again. That doesn't mean Chris Kreider's falling apart or anything like that. But you know, think about the conversation we were having a couple months ago with how rough you know things were for Mika Zibanejad. Chris Kreider was you know having a really strong start and everything else. But like you said, he's you know we all know what Chris Kreider is. Um, uh, He's a guy who we should pay very close attention to. In terms of when he you know loses half a step and what his game looks like but uh you know generally speaking it's it's this is all fun stuff to think about because it's figuring out where guys fit in and it ties into what we were talking about with jones and of course with this craft stop and everything else is these kids are more and more they're like meeting expectations and they're showing their potential and The Rangers right now are a couple games above 500, and technically they're not out of the playoff race, which is just, you know, fun. I don't think they're going to make it, but it also helps that... I think they're level with the Flyers right now in points, but it's kind of a wacky time because the Rangers did... I think they did the right thing in not making any deals to do anything ridiculous, like, you know, try to take a swing at the playoffs with this team because that wouldn't have been the right thing to do. And sticking with these you know, giving kids opportunity. Nice time. That's the right thing to do right now.
0: As it currently stands, they've played 42 games. They have 46 points. The Boston Bruins have 50 points in 40 games. Um, you know, we mentioned, you know, New Jersey devils, uh, we're recording this, um, you know, it's about half an hour before a puck drop, uh, against, uh, the devils at Madison score garden. And then after that, they're going to have two more games versus the devils. um, I think that it's going to be an interesting stretch because obviously Boston still has a couple more games against Buffalo, which theoretically should be free points, and Boston just picked up Taylor Hall from the uh, Buffalo Sabres, so that's another interesting uh, storyline to to look at. Um, But it's... um, it's quite amazing to me. Like I look at the standings and if you sort by the division by goal differential, the penguins who are in third, they lead with a plus 28. The Islanders who are in second, a plus 27, the capitals who are in first, a plus 25. And then you have the Rangers, uh, at a plus 24, 136 goals for 112 against. And then you have the Bruins who have scored 112 goals only allowed 106 and then obviously philadelphia new jersey and buffalo are all uh negative and i bring this up because it kind of points to how close this team is and how with some tweaks where you figure okay you're not playing brett howden you're not playing lieber hayek you're having a little more consistency from your backup goaltender um it's 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 really exciting, and I know uh, Mika, a hockey stat miner, points this out a lot. That going into this off season, the Rangers have a lot of cap space that they can use in the interim to make things a little more interesting, and before they have to pay some of their kids and you might be in a situation because of how their the development has been a little more slower than expected where you might not have those massive salaries off of the ELC. The one exception I would say is obviously Adam Fox who's leading the league and uh, leading defense in scoring excuse me and then obviously Shusterkin although I could see them following the Lundquist path where you do the um, the the deal in between the deal before doing the long-term extension although I would just pay the man lock him up because you know I, I don't really think the clock is ticking on him we kind of know what he's going to be um
1: yeah I have no problem with that I think you you found I think normally finding the you know the person to follow and Lundquist footsteps should have been a nightmare right it should have been very hard to do this is not a bad solution, Mr. Sturkin. I have no issues with locking him up because he already looks like he can be for a while one of the top 12, 10 goalies in the league and maybe more than that. But I think it's, it's safe and reasonable to say he will be in the top third for a while if he continues to be this good. And that's, you know, great goaltending is, is all you can ask for. Above average goaltending can win Stanley Cups and I think he's projected and playing often like he's better than an above average goaltender.
0: So, up. so I didn't put this on our dock, but we we're talking about Shisterkin and I have a question for you. So I'm pretty sure I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm just curious. So do you think, and obviously some of this is dependent on how these final games go, but do you think that when all said and done after this season, that Shusterkin is going to finish in the top 3 for the Calder or do you think that he didn't play enough or there's just going to be the focus on like Kirill Kaprizov and some of the other rookies who got headlines um for the majority of the season
1: I think it hurts his case that there are a couple other goalies that have stepped into significant roles um around the league and also the fact that he got hurt you know, I also think the odds are kind of stacked against you anyway if you're a rookie goalie to win the Calder. I mean, who's the last guy to do it? Um, Steve Mason, I think. Is it Steve Mason? Yeah, it's been it's been a while. Um, I think he is... I think it goes without saying he's one of the best rookies in the league this year. But, I mean, I, there was a graphic... Uh, on a recent game or an NHL Network, where I saw like there were, I think he was fifth among rookie goalies in wins. And of course, you shouldn't evaluate goalies by wins or their record or goals against average necessarily. Uh, but voters will, and it's it, it was interesting to me because it's like ah shit, he's not getting he's not going to get enough uh, credit, and that's that's a bummer. Um, but it's also you know it just kind of re out. This isn't a new story to to the Rangers. Um, with what happened with Fox last year, but you know I know you know Vanacek has been, you know he's like a nine thirteen save percentage. He has seventeen wins for Washington. He's a rookie. You know Kevin Lankinen, who the hell thought that was going to happen in Chicago? Um, Kapokkainen in Minnesota, and then like you know Igor has really 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 good numbers he has a 924 save and you know he finally got that first shutout, which is great but you know he's he's missed time with injury and he has you know he has a record of 11 9 and 3 Just the reality of being on a, a kind of a middling team in the league right now you know it's a, a l- little different than playing for the washington capitals so then of course you have the whole oh yeah there's kaprizov who's you know he's like a grown man playing among rookies so you know, he looks absolutely unfucking believable um, I don't know who's, if how many votes Igor is gonna get I think a lot depends on what happens with this final stretch here and and what's interesting is the Rangers probably lost some confidence that they may have had in Georgie and that may actually help Igor's case and I'm sure to some extent you know if he's fully healthy and they're confident in, in his recovery and everything you know ride him figure out what you have why not you know go with him like he's the the bona fide workhorse starter that he looks like uh it's fun very fun i want it would be nice tom if rangers get awards i want that world i just don't expect it you would think you'd think there'd be a little bit of bias that works in their favor with being a fucking new york team but it doesn't ever seem to be the case so what do we know
0: yeah, I agree with that, and I I think like it's going to come down to like Kaprizov, who's had a really good season, and, and Jason Robertson of the uh, the Dallas Stars has really come on as well. Twenty nine points in, in thirty six games, uh, he's been pretty hot for them lately, scoring a bunch of goals. Um, cool to see you know that for the Stars, a team that went to the Cup final obviously last season. Um, things didn't get underway the way they wanted to but he's been a really bright spot for them. And then the last little note here, um, like I said, you know, we're, Pushing up against like pregame and, you know, start of the game. And I'm going to try and edit this and schedule this before the um, the game starts. Uh, Artemi Panarin played in his 100th game as a New York Ranger uh, against the Devils and scored right. a goal. And it was his 138th point, which uh, is the highest, uh, you know, point total for a, a Ranger in their first 100 games. Um, Seems pretty good. Yep, Mark Messier had 137 points, so he what was a able. What fucking to, scrub! Yeah, <laughs> to surpass him, and uh, it's interesting when you look at it in terms of uh, free agent signings. Um, so, Hockey statmire once again had a, a chart. So you have Panarin at number one in 138 points in 100 games. Then it goes, uh, Alf Nielsen, 118 points. Uh, a fellow by the name of Wayne Gretzky, 117 points in Another 100 scrub. games. Yeah. Marion Gabrick, who doesn't get enough love um, as, a, as a Ranger, I think. 107 points, including 52 goals in 100 games. Um, Michael Nylander, 104. Anders Henberg, 103. Pierre LaRouche, 103. And then...
1: Where was Pat Verbeek on that?
0: So the last name even surprising to me. So the last up there. name on his list, and I'm I'm wondering if he just cut it off was was Mark Pavlich, um, ninety six ah. points in a hundred games. Um, so you had a a lot of um, interesting names here, but like one hundred thirty eight points in a hundred games that that's really special. And uh, you figure how weird these seasons were where you had last year obviously stopped and, and this year delayed. So um, Im- impressive for Artemi Panarin. It's hard to find words to describe uh, how impressive he is and what he means to the, this team offensively. And uh, yeah. good for him.
1: Pat for big, Tom, 88 games as a Ranger, 97 points.
0: Wow. That's impressive. Pat for big. Yeah. Do you, do you know what seasons those were?
1: 94, 95, and 95, 96. And he was 30 and 31.
0: So he just missed out uh, on the cup year.
1: Yeah, he, he was there after the cup year, yeah. He was a Hartford Whaler and then a New York Ranger. Before at Hartford, he was a longtime Devil. And then after the Rangers, he was with the Stars, the Red Wings, and then finished his career with Dallas at the age of 37 in 2001, 2002. Pat Verbeek. Remember him because he had the the Yofa helmet with the visor for a long time. We need more fun helmets. I understand we probably came a long way with sports science to protect brains, but I want more unique, goofy helmets. Like, uh, I was watching Nick Fellino talking to you know Leafs Media, and they were like, I ah, remember when your dad was here and he wore that goofy fucking helmet? Because his dad wore, like, a soup bowl of a helmet. And... Fleeno was like, "Yeah, it was fun. It was really comfortable. It's the most comfortable helmet I wore." But you look like a total goof. But I miss the days of weird, wacky helmets. Like, I don't think we need Butch Goring helmets, but I want, you know, I want different ones. They all look too space age. I want goofy.
0: Yeah, you could even do that, and even see like some of the uh, like Artis Urbe style uh, goalie masks. Yeah, and you don't see Hazard. any
1: more be be uh, what are they called? Like birdcage masks. For goalies everyone like the days of the cat eye helmet are gone it's no fun anymore Tom I want fun I say we bring in that that uh European league thing where if you're the leading scorer you have a golden fucking helmet it's great
0: the Lori Paginemi helmet
1: yeah that glittery gold I like it so you people know if they're watching that guy and they're gambling on him why not why not anyway there's a game on soon
0: yeah anything else you wanted to say
1: Rangers are going to win 17 to two.
0: That's a good prediction. Um, I think the Rangers will win. Um, I'm not bold enough to name a score. 17 to two. All right, we'll go with 17 to 2. Um, as always, we thank everyone for listening. Uh, especially thankful for all our Patreon supporters Adam Clendenning, Adam Nahowick, In Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andre Chikagov, Andy White, Bjarner Osterheim, Captain America, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Jazen, Doris from Regal Park, Frank Menino, Jamie Bussell, Jason Silverin, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Prezipelski, John Repi, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Kevin Mead, Kush Taster, Kyle Napoli, Matt Bader, Matthias Olsen, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panero in 2020, Pratik Landolt, Perennial powerhouse Sean Stieg, Bellback, Tall Guy Rob, the Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Uh, thank you again for all your continued support. It means a lot to us. Uh, I know a couple of people have asked about um, off the post and question and answers. Um, you know, logistically, it's been kind of hard for us to record a podcast, let alone two shows a week. But we're gonna work on um, having an element where we're gonna you know try and have like you know the news and topic segments and then towards the end of the show we'll do question and answers so stay tuned for that it's something that we're working on uh to have soon but uh you know again uh thank you for your feedback and uh mike as always i appreciate you and thanks for doing the show and i'll talk to you again soon
1: sounds good hopefully we get better weather soon take care everybody
0: bye-bye